0: Welcome back to the Bon Revisited podcast. You are listening to part 2 of episode 21 where we revisit and rank Casino Royale. With Bonk hitting off Demetrios, he follows a mysterious man from the Body World exhibition who is heading towards Miami Airport. Join us as we take a look and eventually add Casino Royale to our rankings. So with Dimitri Oskar successfully stabbed and left and slapped on the face, um, yeah, Bond has realised that everything has been taken, so he needs to find out who who took the bag because he has no idea. It's a very, like, crowded place, so he's just kind of manically looking around. This film does this quite a few times where these scenes with, like, a lot of people, um, I think we had that a little bit of that in Madagascar, and we get that here and we get that elsewhere as well. Um, Something that we didn't really have in GoldenEye, but yeah, in this one, a lot of scenes where it's, big crowds of people. These are taking place in very open spaces, but mm. um, unlike uh, a few to a kill, whereas a Frenchman going like, oh, my car, my car. My car. <laughs> it's instead just, yeah, it's almost like uh, there's all this stuff happening out in the open. It, open, it creates quite this uh, unique feel, not necessarily a James Bond f- feel, but a very action um, feel to some of these. Yeah, um, nat- A natural intensity from the fact that it's happening in such a public place. It's quite smart. So, Bond runs out of the museum, starts looking around, can't see anyone. So he decides he has taken the phone um, from Dimitros. So he calls the man. Whoever just texted him with ellipsis, I think it was, um, he calls that man and he sees somebody onto the phone carrying the bag. So Bond knows, oh, it's him. So he starts following him and they go to the airport. So this man goes to the airport and Bond is right behind him. He kind of goes through security and bond is watching and richard branson is there
1: yeah that's okay um boo (laughs) why
0: (laughs) so so bad like it's just so oh it's so nothing i don't want to talk about it too much but yeah just it's a cameo in the background richard branson's also going through security which he's a rich person so he just bought a cameo it sucks i hate it is that really
1: how it happened
0: well, like Virgin Airways was like a sponsor
1: of uh
0: the film, yeah,
1: right, makes sense, so,
0: yeah. and also Richard Brenton's now in it, so it just sucks,
1: <laughs> but get out of here, Richard, and yeah
0: <laughs> boo you Richard, boo, boo, um, so yeah, so Bond is still following, so they're now in like the shopping kind of area of the airport after security, and the, this man that Bond is following goes up to the sunglasses like little stand. And Bond, like, picks up a newspaper trying to hide and is watching him. But the man, like, puts on some sunglasses and looks in some other sunglasses and sees Bond watching him. So he knows he's being followed. And in a very awkward kind of moment, he just, like, the man knows that Bond is watching him. So he just ducks out of frame. And then we just cut to Bond looking over and he's disappeared. It's like, what's the implication here? he's vanished he just yeah he's either vanished or he's just like sneaking
1: like oh just i'll go really
0: low and just sneak 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 sneak. (laughs) and just like just crawl
1: away so where did he go yeah just on his on his on the ground like wiggling away
0: (laughs) i i wouldn't pick on this at all if it was like another film more silly film but yeah it looks really silly um because if he suddenly like ducked down bond would be like oh he just made a sudden movement
1: I oh he's there. <laughs> he's yeah. right
0: there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it's a bit strange. But yeah, so he's disappeared. Um, and the man, shall I call him Bomber?
1: Shall I just yeah. call him
0: the Bomber? Um so yeah, so this was to so sum things up, I suppose, is that uh, this is another story element you might miss on your first viewing. I think I did. So the guy in Madagascar was hired to do a job by Demetrios, and now he has hired this man to do the job instead which is why they're at Miami Airport. So this is now a different bomber who's carrying out this job. Um, so he goes into uh, a clothes shop as part of the airport and goes into a changing room. He opens up the bag and he gets some like security clothes out. So Bond is looking around. He can't find him. And I thought this was a very nice, subtle detail. So Bond looks at the clothes shop and sees a woman handing the black bag over to the shop owner. Which tells Bond that the guy has changed his clothes. Mm, yeah. So he then looks around to find the man in the in different clothes and that's when he sees him in security clothes, um, heading towards the door. I thought that was a very it's very easy to miss, but I thought I that missed was that. very nice.
1: I did miss that to be fair. How oh, did you? <laughs> but but then but then if that wasn't there, I would have been like, Well, how does Bond know that he doesn't look like that? So it's yeah, it's one of those small things that just makes a lot of sense to add, yeah.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. It's very nice. But yeah, you don't you can miss it. It doesn't matter too much. Um but yeah, so Bond sees him and he goes up to this door, this like security door is a restricted area and he puts in the code and he goes through the door and disappears. So Bond runs over, goes up to the door, and at this moment he calls MI6. Now, he speaks to a character we see a lot, some like quite tall, lanky young person or young for MI6 anyway. I think I looked up his name. It's Villa or something. Filer. Villa.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, I
0: didn't Filiers. know his name.
1: It, uh, yeah, because it's sort of like, it's a bit of a Tanner character, but not.
0: Yeah, it's quite strange because I expected this to be Tanner and it made me think, where's Tanner? Because <laughs> Tanner becomes like a consistent character played by a specific actor in the rest of the Craig era. But for mm. this one, we just get like this young character who like they they always do this with MI6 where at some point it was Tanner and then it was like charles and yeah, sometimes yeah. tanner and then i think there was somebody else as well
1: yeah i don't know they just uh yeah yeah it was robin yeah yeah charles robinson yeah that was his name yeah i don't know why they keep changing up like that
0: yeah i don't know they always have to kind of switch up that character for some reason but yeah so he calls and bond then says i need to speak to m and he gets put through to m who is she in bed again? <laughs> I think she's just in her office, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> it would be funny if she was in bed.
1: <laughs> M overslept, sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, my bad. Uh, so, yeah, so. Uh, well, Bond says initially to the other guy, like, uh, there's a bomb that's about to go off in Miami Airport. And that's why he gets put through to M. But as M goes through and says, Bond, what's going on? He's then like, I'll call you back. And M's like, Bond, what are you. <laughs> so. So Vond uh, realises that ellipsis is a code for the door. So he types in ellipsis and that opens up the door. So something that they treat as quite a big mysterious deal is purely just to open up a door in Miami airport and that's it.
1: And I, I guess... Does that... So when when you said earlier on, when you were describing the scene with Le Chief and when he says that ellipsis expires in 36 hours... Hmm is that the code expires? Yeah, I would assume
0: they rotate the code out on a set basis. Ah,
1: okay then. I like that, yeah.
0: I quite like it as well, but it does make you... It's a bit of a disappointing plot point. There's so much more going on with the film that it doesn't really matter, but they kind of treat it almost in like a specter way where it's like, oh, what does this mean? Ellipsis, it could mean anything. And it's just like, it just opens the door and we never talk about (laughs) it again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. It's not like some code name for a huge, but I guess, yeah, for like some master plan or anything. Yeah.
0: No, it, it's nothing like that. So so Bond gets through. Um, so MI6 is hour aware that Bond is there and talks about the airport. So they search online and M is looking at an article and they talk about how a, a giant new aeroplane, like a commercial airplane, I think, is being revealed at Miami Airport. And this is the Sky Fleet which we did hear the name earlier, but I think you would probably completely have forgotten it by this point. Uh, yeah, so Skyfleet is revealing this new huge aeroplane. So we then go back and we see that the, the bomber, who's now in his security gear, has just triggered the sprinklers. So there's a lot of panic like in these like back areas. Everyone just freaks out. I don't know why. Are they freaking it's out? Wet. Sorry, go on.
1: It's wet and that's dangerous because <laughs> <laughs> this, this poor lady falls over at one point.
0: Yeah, oh, it's very dramatic for everyone's a bit wet now. Yeah. I almost assume this is tying into the fact that MI6 has already told the airport there's a bomb threat and that's why they're panicking, but it's all very strange. I, I didn't quite understand this bit.
1: Mm, I don't know. I guess if I'm trying to think what I would do if a sprinkler went off in an airport. Would you no, assume but there's like, a this fire? is like
0: behind the scenes, isn't it? Like they've gone into a restricted area. Surely these are all like members of staff. Oh, oh, has
1: it not reached everyone else yet?
0: I mean, maybe he has, but, like, if... N- surely this is... Like, Bond has gone through that door, and the security guy's gone through that door, and I'm assuming the security guy went through the door to turn on the sprinklers, and then Bond is still back there, because Bond is getting wet as well. I I don't know.
1: I'm not sure either. I the more I think about it now, I don't know. It's
0: a little bit clumsy, but, uh, yeah, the, the bomber goes to a locker room and he grabs a gun. So now he has a gun. And this is when we see like the police arriving at the airport. So I think at this point MI6 have informed them that something is going down um, because we're seeing a lot of police arrive at the airport. So Bond... Uh, is, or M is trying to contact Bond and does and says, it's the Skyfleet prototype. The bomb is going after the, the prototype uh, from Skyfleet. So... Bond looks around, and I think they're now out on the runway. They've now come come out of that, and they're now on just the airport runways, um, and sees the man or the bomber enter a police car and starts driving onto the runway. So we get a big shot of a hangar door opening up nearby, and we see the Skyfeet plane, which is huge, by the way. I don't know if they actually built this thing, but it looks huge, this
1: plane. Well, I was actually going to say that I don't remember the shot. I don't really remember thinking anything about the shot before. It's just it's just been, yeah, there's a big plane. I watched it this time, and I suddenly realised how they're not they're not bad. All right, they're definitely there's not bad CGI. There's no there's no tsunami, but you can at least for me, I can clearly see where they're like green screening the people next oh. to it to 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 make it look huge, I guess, and and like yeah, composite them on, and yeah, that was the thing that just caught my eye. So I think it's all just CGI.
0: Oh, okay, that's... It makes sense they would use it there, but that's a bit disappointing. Yeah. Uh, All right, makes sense. So, um, this to me, at this point in my notes, I put that this feels like almost like quite classic Bond, old school Bond, where we're getting this big chase scene and we're getting like a lot of big music as well. Uh, We haven't really talked about the music um, yet, but it's uh, David Arnold was kept over so it's not just Judy Dench, but David Arnold is the one doing the score here, and this is probably his best score yet.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's, so.
0: The style of this film, I think, matches his strengths a lot better. There's a lot less corny, on-the-nose music, and it's even more kind of subtle, stylish, classy tracks, or it's the bigger music as well. And he doesn't necessarily pull both of those off, but I think this is much more his speed, and... He was probably a little bit mismatched for Pierce Brosnan's Bond, but for Daniel Craig's Bond, which is more like brutish but also stylish and classy, it's like a perfect fit for what David Arnold does.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of points I kind of forgot to mention—the music. But even, uh... oh, it's because we were too busy talking about the Ford. But in that section <laughs> yeah. where, in that section where he's driving the Ford, the music there is really good. It's very good, sort of like traveling music. I don't know, but. Um that in any other film could have been like a kind of weird moment for music. I don't know. Like it's just such a a, a simple little scene, but even the music then was standing out to be to me being quite good. And um, yeah, like I remember one of the things you mentioned in um, tomorrow never dies was sort of like the Paris, the music with Paris on screen. It goes all sort of lovey dovey. Mm. Whereas with this one, you do get a proper Vespa theme later on and it's, it's a good track and it's used at the appropriate moments. So, yeah, I think you did a very good job here.
0: Yeah, definitely. The only thing I would complain about is that I think you hear You Know My Name too many times. And I know why. It's because they couldn't use the Bond theme in the mm. film. So it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, your, my, or you know my name whenever we would normally use the main theme remix. But also whenever we use the Bond theme, which is going to use that song again. And I think it's a bit much. Um, I would have preferred if it was used like one or two less times. But... I get it. I get why they had to. It's just... And it is a great song, so it's fine. It just... It it rips some of the identity of some of the scenes because it's just, you know my name over and over again. So... Yeah. That's... It's not a huge complaint, but that's the only thing I would say kind of harms this score uh, when watching the film anyway. Just a few more... A few too many times with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I can see that.
0: So... The bomber is in the police car, driving on the runway to try and go over, go after the Skyfleet uh, Sky plane. And Bond is just running.
1: <laughs> it was just like, I'll oh, catch him. Just yeah, sprinting
0: yeah. on the runway.
1: Tom Cruise, yeah, just getting getting to it.
0: Yeah, and he does this a few times as well in this film where Bond just goes. Like, it's part of what he does. Pierce Brosnan was like this a bit as well. Very sprinty. Uh, but Craig is all in. He just sprints. So he's just running on the runway, and a load of fire engines go past, and we see the bomber stops at a like a resupply fuel truck, um, something that they would use to supply uh, resupply a resupply a, a plane. So they would go up to the plane and plug it all in. So this is where all the fuel or the petrol is held. So he breaks the man's neck, the one who's there, which is very not convincing, by the way. I was not convinced by this at all. It but looks he like he just spins him by the torso and he just yeah. dies.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a little bit uh, too Hollywood for me, that bit.
0: I think so as well. Yeah, like they could have... He just needed to quickly kill him. But for some reason they chose neck break, but they just do it too quick. Like he just needed to... Even if he just grabbed him from behind and then, you know, broke his neck like that, that would be a little bit better than just, I'm just going to go, whoop, and now
1: you're dead. (laughs) That really is, yeah. It is that quick.
0: Yeah, it's a bit too much. So he gets a little, like, bomb detonator clip, something you'd have on a keychain, and he attaches that to the bottom of the truck. And then he pairs it to his phone so he can now activate this detonator from his phone. So Bond sees the truck. In a di- from a distance the fuel truck and we get some very dramatic zoom-ins <laughs> where it just like keeps cutting a little bit closer so the idea is that i guess it's bond realizing what is happening but for some reason it's edited in a way where it's like done and then it goes a bit more and it's like done and a bit more like done done <laughs> like where did that come from
1: i don't know i don't know well, is this hang on is this the close-ups of the detonator I don't think
0: it goes directly onto the detonator because Bond doesn't know about it. I think it is just the truck.
1: Oh, okay, right.
0: (laughs) It's very strange. There's some very strange little moments in this film. It's kind of sillier than I remember, but yeah, it's like dun-dun-dun, like it's in time with the music. That's why I said (laughs) dun-dun-dun. Right, okay. It's very, yeah, a bit off. Um, So the man or the bomber gets into the truck and drives off. So Bond does his classic trick of, I'll just run after it, but it pays off because he's able to run up the top of some, like, boarding stairs that are parked up, and runs up those, jumps off, and the truck goes by just as he jumps off, and he lands on top of it. So the bomber sees that this is happening, so Bond rolls onto the side, and is like, hanging onto the side of where the, the fuel is stored in the big tanker bit, and the, yeah, the bomber sees it, so he's just going side to side, trying to get him off. We cut to the Sky Fleet plane being brought onto the runway so that's still all moving forward so uh, the bomber is driving down the runway and sees another car another vehicle coming the other way so the bomber tries to round bond into it but just before he go like hit it on the side anyway not directly hit it but like scrape the car into it so it knocks bond off so bond at the last minute jumps off and he like rolls in between the two or in front of one of them just in time which was an awesome shot like
1: yeah, I don't know how it real from above, was, right? But it looked real. Yeah, yeah, it was good.
0: Like it actually looks like Bond is about to get run over because it's like a an above fuse shot. It's not zoomed in. It's over the top. Two cars smashing into each other, just a man rolling to um, get out of the way.
1: Hmm. Uh,
0: so yeah, so that causes the trucks to the spin out. So the bomber is now the wrong way round and starts reversing. And Bond just starts running again, just sprinting. And the bomber eventually has to turn around. So as he turns around, it causes him to slow down, which gives enough time for Bond to jump onto it and hang onto the back. And he climbs on top. And the 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 bomber in the truck like smashes through some logic, like um, some luggage cars. Then he smashes through a bus. Um, and after that, Bond then flips into the front, he goes onto the front, and flips through the windscreen. And they start fighting in the front. So the truck is swerving backwards and forwards as they're punching each other and losing control. And like three police cars show up. So the police are aware of this and they see them. So they're just chasing them. They're right behind. So some more fighting. And the police, actually being competent, just... No. I know, right? This is a new Bond. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The police just get a shotgun and just shoot the back tires off the truck to kind of slow it down. I don't think it really does anything in the end, but they are actively trying to stop this uh, truck from moving forward. So they shoot those out. We see that a plane is now landing onto the runway. So they're like driving at like a 90 degree angles across these runways at this point. So we got Bond and the bomber in this truck being chased by the police cars. So they're all driving forward and they kind of go across one of the runways as a plane is going down. But the plane does see this, so it pulls up, and at the last second, so it doesn't actually go into them. But the force of the plane like blows over one of the police cars, and it like spins in the air. It was a such a small thing, but it was really quite impressive to see this car just like get flipped in the air by this plane. Whether that's realistic or not, I don't know, but it looked cool.
1: It looked good. Yeah, I don't care if it's not realistic. I liked it.
0: Yeah, me too. So uh, the the bomber manages to kick Bond out of the car. So he's like hanging on the door, but then he's kind of completely hanging off. So his feet are still in, but he's like hanging out and his gun falls out of his pocket as well. And because Bond is like hanging out and like going down below, he sees the keychain bomb being attached to the bottom. So we cut back to the bomber. Uh, He's now like... He has set it up to go directly into the Skyfleet plane. It's right in front of them. So he sets it up so it can go straight ahead. He like uses a seatbelt to lock in the steering wheel and then jumps out. Or he goes to jump out, but Bond pulls him back in. But then he just jumps out anyway. So, <laughs> um, so he has now escaped and Bond is in the driving seat heading straight towards it. He tries to hit the brakes. They don't work. Uh, he smashes through a police car without being able to stop so he's able to then unhook the seatbelt from the the steering wheel and he swerves at the last moment and he goes into a drift and he stops at the very last moment so this was a very loud and crazy scene up to this point because it was a big action scene but now it's very quiet you got Bond looking very beat up in the front on the driver's seat so he just kind of falls out of the truck he's just kind of exhausted probably because of all the running Um, and he then stands up Uh, The police instantly knock him back to the ground and cuff him and drag him over to the car. And they they put him on top of one of the police cars on the hood. And Bond sees in the distance the bomber is by one of the other police cars. And he gets his phone out and he hits the button to detonate the explosives. He hears some beeping. Uh, He looks around and it's on his belt. So Bond was able to attach it to his belt. So the man explodes off screen And as he explodes, we zoom in on Bond's face and we see a little smile because he killed a man.
1: (laughs) A little little cheeky smirk from Bond there. Yeah, Yeah, Another
0: one of those moments where he's like, he's very proud of himself, how he's been able to solve that.
1: He likes his job, you know, as much as uh, there's there's downsides to it. How did you find this scene, Joe? Um, It's like so, yeah, it's very the scale of it is huge, right? You know, they're on this, they're on this runway and there's everything's going on. Things are exploding. Things are crashing. A plane is nearly landing on them. It's everything that's going on. It's nighttime. There's all these sort of, uh, is it raining? I don't know if it's raining, but it's like quite quite atmospheric anyway. It is
0: Miami. I don't think it is raining.
1: Yeah. But it's very Um,
0: blue, right? I guess.
1: Yeah. Dark blue. Like all the, as I said before, all the action stuff is great. I think it all, it all works really well. The one thing I really liked, such a minor thing to pick up on, but the one thing that really kind of sold the scene for me in a weird way is, as Bond is is trying to stop the fuel tank, you know, he's got rid of the guy and he's trying to trying to break, and that's when he does the whole swerve to to make it stop that way. I just love that little moment afterwards where you just get that shot of Bond just like almost in disbelief at it, or like just just like taking a a, a second to breathe and taking taking what happened because it all just like back to back to back craziness and then there's just that moment of like after the storm where he's just there and it, and he's like staring straight ahead and then looks around and you never really get that sort of stuff with with like when bond does the the, the thing and saves the day or whatever he just does it and he's like oh yes uh, look at me I'm and it's probably says some line or whatever but that's just in the moment all of the sort of agonizing stuff that's just went on and he's just sort of like taking a second to get him like kind of yeah get his bearings again i loved it
0: yeah i think this is a ton of fun um i think it it works very well as you kind of say like the setting helps like it's such a basic thing but the the first one that we had with the action was the Madagascar one where it's very bright and it was a big chase and this is another chase where now it's very dark and i think that's it's very basic (laughs) i think that's nice it helps kind of separate it out and but just like the last one this is a very public chase they're chasing each other in a very public area so it's kind of like bond trying to go against people to get his man and the person being able to use other people to hide it so it's it feels built very similarly but it's in a very different location it takes place at a different time of day it's it's all on this runway and this big chase that happens there and it, it's the vehicle chase for the for the film pretty much yeah. Yeah. even though Bond isn't really in a car for, for most of it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a smart choice. It's it's not one of my favourite action scenes, to be honest. I think there are some parts that are a little bit awkward and a little bit off, but I think as a ton of memorable moments, it's Bond being very determined. I think the running does get a bit silly for me. I would have preferred if maybe he did get in some sort of car I, I i guess i get what they're trying to do with this determined blonde bond but i think it does look a bit daft um but it doesn't matter i think the bomber is a very entertaining person for bond to chase and beat up and a lot of back and forth so yeah i, I didn't love it but i definitely enjoyed it
1: i think it's something as well that we haven't really mentioned on yet but is with this whole reboot of bond and um one of the things perhaps they noticed uh although it's I don't really know how true this is because I think Die Another Day wasn't particularly bad compared to other films, but the whole gadget element to things and how they've they've really stripped that back for this film. And is in any other film there would have maybe been something that Bond would have used or I don't know, or his watch or you know, he uses his phone in this film as a GPS, but that's about it. Um, and you don't you don't really get any of that. It is just Bond on his own, uh, taking out guys and, and things like that using his own methods using just running or (laughs) or whatever or just overpowering them so um i think i do like when i look at the craig era i do miss i know we're only just starting it but i do miss that they did kind of drop the whole gadget stuff quite heavily but i think it does make sense for this first film in particular anyway so yeah i quite like that it's just bond and and just get into it with this this whole scene
0: yeah i didn't even think about that with this scene to be honest so i guess that tells you all you know <laughs> i didn't even think oh there was no gadgets being used so i guess that it does its job quite well if i didn't yeah. even think that
1: yeah exactly so after the scene at the airport we see uh the chief's stockman on the phone uh, the one we saw earlier and he is talking to the chief and and telling him basically his his little uh gamble earlier on has not paid off, obviously. The the plan did not work. They did not blow up the plane. And so when he was betted against Skyfleet, he's actually lost. And he goes to say how much he loses, or they're, they're unsure how much he's lost, and then Le Chief replies and says exactly it. it's like a hundred and one million two hundred and something thousand dollars. So yeah, he's he's not looking too good in that regard. Um, but he uh has a puff of his inhaler and uh just kind of very calmly says someone talked. So, so yeah. this is
0: like, I think at this point, this is supposed to be all of his plan revealed. Although I think you say that M, conf- actually M does say it, doesn't?
1: doesn't she says show. a little bit about this, yeah.
0: Okay, so I guess you've got enough there that you could put it together. But yeah, it's if you're not sure what's going on, M is going to explain it to us very shortly.
1: Thanks, M. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so back in the Bahamas, uh, helicopter lands and bond gets out bond and what did you say his name was again like villas villas yeah he's there I'm assuming as well.
0: that's how you say it it's a bit of a weird word
1: okay and uh yeah they they land and, and get out the helicopter and they head down towards uh the beach and on the beach front there is uh a hammock tied up between two trees and there's this kind of there's this body this dead body this corpse all tangled up inside it covered in sand and everything and and uh, the other guy sees this and starts to, like, throw up and run off. And Bond just kind of looks at it. You know, no, no response, really, from Bond. Um, but we see that it's the uh, Solange. It's the woman that we saw earlier. It was Demetrius's wife. And uh, as we see that, M comes in, walks down, and says to Bond it's quite the body count that he's stacking up. And, yeah, so it was Solange who, after Demetrius was killed, we learn that she was kind of the only one left for... The chief to question and and torture and uh, uh, that's how she ended up and M says you know, did did she know anything that would compromise you did she know your name or anything like that and Bond just like so bluntly and coldly just goes no um, so you know no emotional response from Bond whatsoever and uh, yeah this is where you then get M kind of tell you what the the little update on the chief so he is yeah a private banker to all the terrorists and. He's also a, a chess prodigy and a maths genius and uh, he likes to play poker to show it. They walk into this like gazebo on the beachfront and there's a, another man in there with this big briefcase and he opens up the briefcase and he gets this sort of gun, injector gun thing and gets Bond to hold out his forearm and, and just injects him with something and Bond's just owl sort of thing and uh, it's not Q though, <laughs> this man who does this, it's just this random moustached man doesn't say a single word um he does that and uh <laughs> yeah it's uh it's like a scanner on this in this briefcase that has this little thing that can go over it goes over bond's forearm and links up to a screen and you can see that there's a uh a micro transmitter now in bond for um But him to keep an eye on him and know where where he is at all times i don't feel this i don't really
0: get this because they knew earlier in the film that bond was in the bahamas so why would they need this I don't know. I don't know. And Bond it... called it in in Miami. So <laughs> what's the problem? I did, it feels strange.
1: Does it ever come back?
0: It does. But I'm not sure if it's MI6 knowing where Bond is. Ah, uh, yes. It it does come back later. Right. But I feel like it was kind of a completely unnecessary thing. I guess it's more about M and Bond's relationship at this point in time more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it felt a little unnecessary.
1: Yeah. And so M starts to explain about the Chief's plan with the Skyfleet stocks failing since the bomb didn't go off. And so now that he's $100 million in debt to terrorists, he is setting up a high stakes poker game at the Casino Royale in Montenegro. And it's like 10 players, 10 million buy in, and uh, with a 5 million buy in and all sorts of stuff. So it made. It, Basically, he can earn 150 million from this if he wins it. So uh, M obviously wants uh, Bond to not let that be the case. So uh, if if the chief loses, they can offer him sanctuary and then probe him for information from that as well. So uh, M's going to send Bond since he's the best player in the service, uh, as much as she doesn't want to. Kind of, and yeah, as they do, as they're talking about all this, they head back. Out back towards the beach of the hammock, and they see uh, Solange's body being taken away in a body bag. And Em says to Bond that uh, I'd worry about, you know, being emotionally attached, but I'm sure you'll we'll have no issues, sort of thing. And so, yeah, Bond um, is kind of getting that idea of Bond is just a very cold man, no, um, no remorse, anything like that.
0: Well, I, I want to flesh out what Em said a little bit more because th- this plot that she actually says. That, after nine eleven the Americans were investigating what happened and found that a lot of people shorted a load of airline stocks just before it happened, so because they did that after nine eleven they made a fortune because all the stocks went down and they shorted them and this is the same thing that was supposed to happen here and I was like that's quite a it's a really interesting idea, like a really cool idea to kind of play this into a a spy film i'm not sure if bond is maybe the appropriate one to be directly referencing 9-11 but i guess they've they've done some of this stuff in uh before but this i think shows the more complexity of the villains and their plot than what we've had in the past where previously blofeld was just trying to get rich but you would have this kind of crazy over-the-top weapon almost to blackmail people to get rich and then we have the more over the top like oh i'm going to destroy humanity and start again but then we also have the ones where it was a, a little bit more small scope but this one feels like a very modern villain plot here where it's just it's making a ton of money but he's like a banker for terrorism so it's the way he's funneling the money but then he's like manipulating stocks to do that it's a lot more complicated than what we had before but it's, it's really interesting like it's this feels like a really great like update in terms of a bond plot potentially more complicated than before and as i've said before already like you could totally miss stuff with this and you almost certainly will but i kind of really like this as a uh a villain scheme or like a modern day villain scheme it's more stocks. It's more manipulation. It's more, as Em says in a, a later film, in the shadows. Um, and I think that's really cool.
1: It's difficult to make that sort of stuff interesting, I suppose. See, for me, I yeah, there was that bit about nine eleven 11 and that. I, I just kind of glanced over that, to be honest with you. <laughs> to me, that was just making things more complicated. But like the bit I was getting from that was just they're setting up the, the casino game. But you are right. I mean, they, they've tried to do something similar-ish with the whole... Uh, you know, car- uh, Carver and media stuff. But then, even then, they had to kind of go back to kind of old-fashioned Bond villains as well with World World War Three and stuff. Uh, this is definitely a very modern age, kind of more down-to-earth thing that actually probably does happen. So,
0: yeah, it's like a huge impact what he is doing here, but it, it's not so direct and out front. It's not like, as you say, he's causing World War Three. Or something like that, or we're just going to blow up this place. It was just like a terrorist attack on an airport to make a ton of money to help fund terrorism. It's it's a little bit more nuanced, and I think that that works quite well, um, and and helps the the chief as a character. But I guess yeah. we should talk about the the body in the room, <laughs> the corpse in the hammock.
1: <laughs> oh yes, poor Solange. Yeah, as we said, not not a nice ending for her.
0: No, and I think it's so it's so interesting because we've seen this sort of stuff before, but and I don't think this is a million miles away to what has happened with form, former Bond girls. It's just a couple of lines and moments that means you feel the impact of her being killed a little bit more. And when Em is asking Bond about like she was tortured, did she know anything? And Bond's like, no, and like Ev- not even your name. And Bond's like, nope. And then you think back, and it's like, oh yeah, that didn't, that didn't happen. And then you're like, oh no, that didn't happen. So it's like quite horrible. Like it's, it's something that you kind of assume happens with the other Bond girls, but they don't really spend any time or pull any attention to it. And this one doesn't go like crazy with it so much. It definitely draws a lot more attention than before. Um, It's not like a hugely emotional scene, which is kind of the point. But the fact that it's making you think about it at all, like this, was pretty harrowing, especially with that corpse uh, being dragged away at the end.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's that like one close-up shot of her, like her face is like caught in all of the, the hammock, and it's not very nice. But you're right; it is that element of of uh, what actually goes on, because before it would have been very kind of uh, I don't know, brushed over, I guess, or you wouldn't. I, they wouldn't have even kind of highlighted it really, and would never have asked that question before or anything like that, it would have never come up about when Bond gets involved with all these women, like what what happens in terms of how much does he give away, how much do they know, how much happens when they inevitably die, because there's always this sort of Bond girl character that does. And I think this one just puts it out there very clearly on screen in a very, not a, not a gory way, but I think maybe just like kind of grotesque way.
0: Yeah, and I think the balance they find is great because I don't want a big... Bond is now depressed the film, the rest of the film, because the woman died. Like this, she was a big character. So it's kind of pointing at itself without going, in my opinion anyway, too far with it, because it would have been very easy to like push this idea a little bit further in this film. And I think that would have maybe felt a little bit preachy, a little bit too over the top. So they had to kind of find this balance with Bond kind of showing the connection here and showing her die and adding a little bit more weight to this without kind of dragging the film down, it it's setting up stuff that comes up later with how Bond sees women, um, and we just kind of get that here. So it's like pointing the finger at the franchise itself. And to me, I would say it it avoids being preachy about it because that would have been that would have been pretty bad.
1: Preaching, or uh, what in in making Bond remorseful for it?
0: Yeah, I, I guess in terms of like the self awareness thing, I don't want Bond, like I don't want them to really kind of flip the formula or change it or anything like that, or. Be like, wasn't it bad that in the older films that women just died and Bond didn't care? Like, I, yeah, it was, um, but I don't need the franchise to kind of go all in on that idea. Just kind of have it in there for things to think about and make you feel it a little bit more. I don't need the franchise to go too self-analyzing itself. Like, you know, I, I'm trying to. I can't really think of any examples of other franchises that have done that, but it's definitely a trap that other franchises go in fall into where they they want to update to be modern and they just kind of focus too much on like pointing out how terrible the older stuff was now that it's a bit dated and it's a it's a difficult balance to find and i think this film finds a really good balance um, for pointing at itself a little bit and paying attention to that or like shining a light on that stuff without going too far with it
1: yeah yeah i would agree with that and the film needs this this element to it anyway because, as you say, it all links in together later on with the emotional attachment. You know, M literally asks us about emotional attachment and that is what ends up happening. So it's sort of a bit of a counter to that and you sort of see both sides of Bond there. So, yeah. Uh, we then cut to uh, a train. There's a train uh, going through these very lovely looking places in Montenegro at night. It's kind of like valley. valley. Um, and inside... Is a suited up Bond at one of the uh, dinner tables in the dining car. Uh, sat down, and another woman comes in to sit down opposite him. She sits down and says, "I'm the money, every penny of it." And uh, yeah, that was she... weird, wasn't it? What do you mean?
0: Like, is that not a money penny reference? <sighs> because she says, "I'm the money," and Bond says, "Every penny of it." And it's like, I guess
1: it. Mm, I don't yeah. know how
0: that makes any sense to have a money penny reference here, but having money and penny back to back like that, I'm just like, hmm.
1: Yeah, maybe it is a bit of a wink to the audience, but it, it does make sense if you don't think of money penny as well. But it is right there, I suppose. I never really, yeah, I don't know. I never really thought about that too much. Mm. Um, but yeah, she is there. She's been sent by the treasury. She's there to manage the funds associated to this this uh, poker game, this whole plan in action for Bond to try and beat the Chief, And she goes over and kind of pushes over a business card to reveal her name, which is Vespa, Vespa Lind. And Bond says, I sure hope your parents... Uh, oh, no, what, what does he say, actually? Oh, um, not,
0: I didn't write this down.
1: <laughs> I bet you gave your parents hell for that or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we, we see kind of cuts a little bit later on and they're having dinner together now on the train, uh, drinking some wine together. And Bond is in the process of talking about uh, how he plays poker and how, uh, you know, the elements of bluffing and how you don't play your hand. You play the person sitting opposite you. And I'm really not going to do this scene justice because there is this is one of those scenes where it's like so quiet and focused on the dialogue. There's a lot to it. And it's all very good. But um, yeah, Bond boasts about being pretty good at reading people. That's why he's good at poker and starts to... Psychoanalyze, I guess Vespa, um, talking about how she looks and her beauty, and how that gets in the way of her intelligence and being taken seriously by colleagues and everything like that, and overcompensating, coming across as arrogant. There's a lot to it, and he finally ends up saying that uh, um, she she thinks because of the way that she ignored his clip about her parents, she's probably an orphan, and um, she she counters by doing the exact same thing. And uh, analyzes him and talks about the cut of his suit and how he's wearing it with disdain and he doesn't come from money. He was sort of gifted it and and uh, also being an orphan because that's who MI6 look for. They look for those sort of men that that can that uh, have those emotional detachment and can protect queen and country and that he thinks of women as disposable disposable pleasures. Yeah, as I say, there's there's like this whole dialogue in the scene is so good and it's so kind of pointed. Um I think it ends with with uh her saying, like, how was how was your lamb? And Bond says skewered, one sympathizes. And it really is like that is the scene. It's like proper biting, witty, cutting dialogue back and forth um between the two. And yeah, she goes and leaves and, and Bond just kind of watches her leave and and like laughs it off almost. It's that that reaction GIF that everyone uses, or I've used it anyway. Yeah, where he's just sort of laughs at himself for what just happened to that conversation. But I this is probably one of my favourite scenes of the whole film. Uh, I just think it's like such a great way to get some real like in depth character there from both both sides as well. Obviously from Bond, but but from Vesper who becomes a huge figure, um, not just in this film but the one after and. It's done so well. It reminds me a lot of like the Golden Eye M scene. It's just that sort of dialogue where they they deliver it so well, like they act it so well, and it's it's so well written that I nothing really happens. Like it's it's not an action scene or anything. It's just them sitting on a train talking to each other. But it was so engrossing. I loved it.
0: Um, I'm going to be the negative Nancy of the group. Um, not that I really disagree with what you're saying. I think a lot of this works really well but there are some times where with Vesper's dialogue, I'm not super into it. um, Like, She's quite sarky in this scene, and I kind of get sick of that throughout the film. It's not something I remember about this film, but there's just a lot of times where like, a lot of the jokes and the charm and stuff, it's just sarcasm, just saying something that isn't true. And it, it happens a little bit too much for my liking. So I still overall really like this scene, for sure. Uh, the amount of stuff they managed to cram into this and Craig and the actress uh, Evergreen, I want to say. Evergreen? Yeah, Eva Green, Evergreen. Yeah. <laughs> Evergreen. Oh, that's nice. Evergreen. Lovely. Um, yeah, like instant chemistry, really great back and forth. The mood lighting is really great and having this be on a train and it's all quite classy and sophisticated. The setting's great. And as you say, like it looks really nice on the outside as well. Like the establishing shots, all that stuff's great um so overall still really great scene but yeah this was the start of like why why is everyone just so sarky all the time <laughs> it get it gets a little bit too much but even even saying that it's still um still very good very they cram a lot of ideas and concepts setting up these two characters into a very small scene and overall do it quite well so um yeah overall very good
1: yeah yeah, I suppose she is quite sarky. Although then I suppose that links into kind of what Bond was saying when he was analysing her. Maybe that's just her her way of of dealing with things. So I think you're right. Yeah, I think, right. yeah,
0: yeah. think that's that's what it's kind of supposed to be. But they don't stop. They just keep. Being, no, they don't. They keep just being sarky the whole film. It's um, sometimes it's charming, but sometimes it's not. But yeah, but it doesn't matter too much.
1: So uh, after the train journey, we see the two of them get into a taxi in the town. Because uh, they're heading to the, the hotels that they're staying at, and they're both sitting in the back. And Bond is there with some papers, some last-minute details about their um, their cover story, as they're going to enter the like, inside the the poker game uh, along with their passports. Bond is Mr. Arlington Beach, a professional gambler, and uh, Vesper is Miss Stephanie Broadchest. <laughs> <laughs> I love that little bit where she like looks No, it's not. And he hides the paper from her. <laughs> Although it actually is, I think, on the passports, you do, like, it is actually Stephanie Broadchest. So. I don't think it is Broadchest, <laughs> isn't it? I thought, because they're <laughs>
0: Mr. and Mrs.
1: whatever they're. They're not names. married. They're not married, though. I thought they were.
0: Oh.
1: oh I don't think enough. so, anyway. But yeah, it's one of those things. Because um, they do talk about, like, uh, there's a two bedroom suite, because uh, Vesper's character is uh, very religious. So there's got nothing to worry about between the two. Oh, well, that's what Bond says, nothing to worry about. And she goes, because well, I'm smart. And he goes, no, single. Um, so anyway, they get to the hotel and check in on, on the front desk. And Bond just immediately drops the whole cover that he was talking about in the in the taxi. He says yeah, there's a reservation uh, under Beach. The name's Bond. Um, so that uh, angers Vespa. She has to sign a form and she does it angrily and storms off towards the lift. Uh and Bond finds it all quite funny. He's just like, mm, thank uh, I think the receptionist's like, have a nice day. And so, like, mm, thank you. Uh and they walk off, or he walks up and catches up with Vespa. And uh she's of yeah, she's annoyed that they've just blown the cover straight away. And Bond explains that, well, it's fine. Uh Lechif with his connections probably already knows who Bond is. And the fact that he's still decided to let him enter kind of shows Bond more about his character, that he's he's desperate or or com- overly confident, he says. So yeah, he got, he got a lot out of it for just something that they already knew, but then Vespa does counter by saying that now the chief knows that he's one thing and that's reckless and goes up in the lift because uh, or goes up in the lift alone. There's no room for her and Bond's ego. She says, and this little scene in the hotel ends just with Bond being given a package from the reception addressed to him and it's uh, some car keys. Hmm.
0: Yeah, some very cheeky Bond here. Which is always fun to cheeky see. Cheeky Bond. Oh, yeah. A bit of cheeky Bond. Nice to see Craig is able to kind of do that cheeky stuff as well. Um, yeah, and I think Bond makes a good point about... It's funny to see Bond do the thing, which is, again, I think pointing the finger of the franchise itself, where he just introduced himself as James Bond to everyone. Yeah. So him doing that and then having a little bit of, like, it actually kind of makes sense is cool you know, some of this stuff is hit and miss for me in terms of, like, pointing the finger at the franchise and reinventing stuff. But I think this one works quite well. But then I also like that Fespa makes a really good point. It's like, well, you've just shown how reckless and stupid you are. So it's just like, that's also true. Uh, so it's um, the back and forth here. It, it's kind of yeah, Fespa storming off and being all moody and stuff, it's not the most fun thing to watch. But I think in terms of having these two be equals back like go back and forth, Bond makes a good point and is being cheeky. But Fespa also makes a really good point. And I think that's incredibly important to have them both bounce off each other like that. It's uh, it's setting them up as a obviously she's frustrating with him, but still it's it's setting them up to be someone that you could see be equals as a couple down the line.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. It would not have worked if if there wasn't that element of she is she is very smart and she she sees things that bond potentially doesn't you know he's got maybe a certain blind spots with certain things and it's only seeing one angle of things and then she's there to to point out the other and uh yeah i mean it's, it's all good that you do see bond thinking about the the psychology of it all and you're getting an, an element of how he's then gonna later play the bond at the bond the poker game um it's not, like you say, it is It is the whole, oh, my name's James Bond, but there is a reason for it all. And that really adds something to it. Just instead of just being a passing funny line and just getting getting it in there, the Bond, James Bond stuff, there's a reason. And I, and I love that.
0: Yeah, I like that as well. And it just goes back to the characterization we've already seen. And we saw it in Die Another Day, where Frost explains it is like, the Bond aggravates to get stuff done. And that's exactly what he's doing. And I kind of love that part of his character. And I love seeing it return as part of this reboot. Bond intentionally gets under people's skin and goes in and is intentionally regulars to like draw things out. And I love that he does it here. The aggravation stuff is both really funny, but also kind of you, you buy it to a certain extent. Yeah. So Bond received uh, that key when he was in the lobby. So we cut to him going outside, going up to an Aston Martin, Not the one that we saw before, but like a very nice, modern Aston Martin. I put silver down as the colour, but I want to say it was more like black.
1: Kind of a very deep grey. Yeah, a deep grey.
0: Yeah, it's quite a dark one. It's a lot darker than the, the DB5 and the other one we saw for sure. So Bond enters the Aston Martin and he goes through like some paper documents that I think M sent, some briefing. And he also gets a silenced pistol out of his car. We also see some other device in the car, but we don't really know quite what that is yet. It's all very quick um so we then go to some like aerial shots showing like this estate i think estate I want to say um another uh chance or another place where you know my name plays again unfortunately um so Bond parks up in in the city and he's in the Aston Martin, and Bond and Vesper get up, and they meet up with a man who says, I'm Mathis. I'm your contact. He just... <laughs> I appreciate that dialogue because there's been quite a few times where they meet up with someone and they're like, who's that? Is he part of MI6? But it's just like, I'm your contact. And that's as so, oh, okay. simple. All right. Yeah. No code uh, word Mathis. think... Mathis? Yeah. I think
1: I'm saying that right. Uh, uh, yeah, like Ren- Ma- yeah, René Mattis or something like that.
0: Mathis, yeah. So so they sit down at this like outside cafe, so it's all very sunny. So they're kind of at this... Little cafe bar, um, but there's a load of tables outside, very touristy. So they go and sit down to talk, and he's saying how uh, we've been watching Chief. Um Or he says, well, it's just me. Uh, I'm the only one working here as part of this department, so I've been the one watching him. And he says he's arrived, and Lashif has met up with the police chief here, and has implied that he's been bribing him. And he says, well, the police chief is just behind them. And they see that the police chief is on this table nearby with two women, just kind of being a little bit over the top with the fact that he's clearly just fallen into a load of money. So Mathis thought, well, we can't buy off the chief, the police chief, because we can't afford it. And at that moment, a load of police cars show up and start surrounding the police chief. Um, And he makes like some comment about accountants are running MI6 now. Um, I think in terms of saying that's why we can't afford it. But he says it was cheaper instead to give the deputy chief evidence that we were bribing the chief. So what he's done is he's got the chief arrested by providing evidence to the deputy. The deputy is someone who wants to get promoted to be the full chief in order to um, get the chief arrested. So I think he then says, I think our odds are getting better, Mr. Bond, something like that. So... Yeah, this is our introduction to Mathis and really effective stuff. <laughs> so He's a cheeky chappy. He's a bit cheeky as well. But yeah, it was really interesting to, again, some of these details are very easy to miss, I think, on the first viewing. But actually, like him explaining the whole how it works here and bribing the chief and then how it play out behind him. It's all very, all very spy film-esque, but it's also very charming and quite, quite interesting to see play
1: out. He's a very kind of friendly looking. It's one of those Bond allies that are very friendly looking and very um, kind of uh, charming. And uh, you kind of, yeah, you just get that straight away with his little his little uh, speech as it's all happening behind him. And he's just a little olive or two. Yeah, I like Mathis. He's a good character.
0: I do too. It's like an older gentleman, but he's quite like chipper and kind of... Uh... I don't want to say carefree because he's still in a, someone here, but you know he's a little bit more upbeat than some of these mm. other characters, which is a, a a nice way to pair pair up with Bond, someone who is a bit more kind of yeah ha- happy go not happy go lucky. It's it's not
1: that. It's just
0: it's just a friendly, charming
1: guy. Yeah, yeah, that's all you need.
0: So we then cut to Vesper in the hotel bathroom, who's getting ready, and Bond. Goes round the goes inside the bathroom and puts a dress on the door and she's like, "What's that?" And Bond says, "I need you looking fabulous tonight. So when you walk in in that dress I've just given you, uh, all the other players are looking at you uh, rather than than me." Um, so she's like, "All right, I'll I'll do my best." Um, so Bond then goes and sees like a, a dinner jacket or one of those bags that you put
1: a suit in on the bed. And he gets mad. <laughs> it's so dramatic this bit. It's like someone you think someone's going to be in the room or something like that, and no, it's just something on the bed. Just
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, he gets very wound up it. by
0: this, and he's like, yeah. what,
1: "What the bloody hell's going on? In
0: this? What's this? <laughs> What's all this then?" <laughs> so he goes back in. He's like, "What's this?" And then she's like, "Well, I need you to look like someone that belongs at that table." And he, and Bond was like, "Ah, oh, my my other suit was tailored." She was like, "Don't worry, I I sized you up the moment I saw you." Um, So Bond just like reluctantly leaves and then we cut to Bond looking at himself in the mirror and it's the classic black tux. It's the bow tie, it's all black, it's the white t-shirt and I think Vesper sees him and I think they kind of laugh a little bit, but yeah, he's checking himself in the mirror and it's classic James Bond that we all know and love.
1: Yeah, it's all those little building blocks of the Bond character that are slowly getting revealed over the course of the film and even with this one though this is a very iconic one being the black tux as you say and you, you also even kind of hear it as well i think because you get it's not the bond theme but you get like just a little kind of few twangs of the guitar like there's something growing there i think it's something quite clever that david arnold uh did and I, I don't think i'm making it up because i'm pretty sure i heard that in the some behind the scenes stuff that he was he wants to reach that big moment of the bond theme by sneaking it into to smaller extents throughout the film and like this is a a perfect example of it and I very 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 well done
0: yeah it's nice to see all come together as I've said I've been hit and miss on some of this stuff but I think this is definitely a hit I think it makes sense to me that Vespa would be the one to dress Bond and say you need to be wearing this and then Bond to put it on and actually really like it without really expressing that but you still get that sense that he does like it like very smartly done you know not all of these moments work for me with Bond but this one Makes sense there'll be Vesper. Makes sense that you get this big reveal of him. It it all
1: works very well. So after he's now all suited up in his tux, we see Bond head into the Casino Royale at night, um, looking very dashing as he crosses the street. Did we ever mention that it's called the Casino Royale? I think we might have missed that detail. I think M does say at the Casino Royale in Montenegro. Yeah, and she looks right at the camera when she says it as well. Wink. I'm sending you to the <laughs> Casino Royale. Well, Tom, you'll be pleased to hear that it's very, very high up in my casino rankings of the well, Bond films. I bloody hope so. It is a very Royale casino indeed. He goes in and it's this huge, very glamorous, very um, intricate and fancy looking place. He goes in and he actually ends up going down into this uh, private suite um, where the, the competition is being held. And uh, goes through goes through this little uh, what are they called metal detector things at the airports and hmm. uh, gets some. I don't I don't know what he's given there. Is it like a little? He's given something by by the person, but I didn't actually know what that was. Oh, I mean don't know. It. I don't remember
0: him being handed
1: something. To be honest. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so he goes down into this room and you see the private room that they're playing this game in, and uh, it's very, as I say, very fancy. He's got uh, this big poker table right in the middle of it all these tables around the outside, and a bar at the back, and it's where we're going to spend a lot of the rest of this film in, so um, I, I like it as a, as a location. It's very atmospheric, it's got nice lighting, and it's uh, yeah, kind of sets the scene quite nicely.
0: I quite like how low the ceiling is, to be honest. Yeah. It's such a minor point, but like usually these are massive ones, and that's what we see when Bond first enters, really tall ceilings, very over the top, almost like a church or something, a cathedral. But this one is just more low-key. It's like a, a really nice basement conversion, I suppose. But it, it kind of makes it feel more intimate, uh, yes. which is exactly what you want for this.
1: Exactly. When we get to more of the head-to-head stuff, it really helps kind of make it feel a bit more uh, like it's just them two against each other. Yeah. Uh, so actually, speaking of head-to-head with the sheaf, Bond walks past him. The sheaf is there, and the uh, chief goes to introduce and says, "Ah, oh, you must be... Mr. Beach, or or was it Bond? I'm a bit, I'm a bit confused. Bond says, "Well, we wouldn't want that, would we?" (laughs) And just carries on walking, um, and heads to the back near the bar. And then one of the workers from the uh, casino comes up and sort of introduces the game to all the players. uh, There are ten players, ten million, blah blah blah, and also introduces this rather lovely Swiss banker called Mr. Mendel, who is there to represent at the Basel bank and he's the one that's going to be kind of in charge of the money, in charge of the winnings and uh transferring it to the winner when it's eventually decided. So this guy is very chipper. He's <laughs> he comes back later on. He might be one of my favorite characters in this whole film. <laughs>
0: I was going to say who actually <laughs> remembers the name of this character, but of course, of course you do.
1: Oh, I had to write it down. Yeah. He's, yeah, it's just like everything is so moody and atmospheric and he's got this guy going hello. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing that might have improved this
0: character or this bit for you is if it was Mr. Wit and Mr. Kid. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're back, baby. <laughs> We're back. The game is Texas Hold'em. And they just bring this giant bomb cake in with them. yeah.
0: <laughs> uh... <laughs> with like a Looney Tunes style, like sparkler or something <laughs> into it.
1: Um, but yeah, he's there to explain about uh, they need to have... Um, a password for their their transfer system. So all the, all the players need to come up and put, put in a password so they can transfer it. So they go alphabetically. So Bond is first. So he has to go up and put in at least a six digit password. And he goes up and starts to look at the keypad. And there's a little smirk from him. He's thinking about what to put. We don't actually see what he puts, but you see his fingers start to tap it in. And with that, the game starts to starts to go. Um, all the players are around the table and Fortunately for the film, <laughs> Bond is directly opposite Le Chiffre. Uh That worked out well, didn't it? Imagine if it wasn't right next to him and he's like, oh, how am I going to find his tail from back here? Like, <laughs> he's right on the other end. Oh, crap. It's a good um, point,
0: actually. It's like when you normally watch poker games, everyone's wearing sunglasses and things like that, right? It's, it's yeah. a huge part of the game. But yeah, like, the table's somewhat big and having 10 players, there are some people you just won't be able to see across the way. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And then Bond loses, Le sheaf wins, and uh, the film ends. Very sad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we see that uh, Bond is directly opposite Le sheaf and he's, there's lots of close-ups of the Chiffre's eyes here where uh, Bond is trying to work out kind of the tells and everything associated with poker, and you keep seeing Le sheaf sort of touch his eye around that area. You know, the one with the big scar over it and the one that he weeps blood from. Maybe it's just kind of irritable. I don't know. But uh, Bond, I think they're kind of in the middle of a game now and Bond kind of calls to the Chiefs bet. And as he does so, uh, Vespa walks in. So Vespa comes in all dressed up, as I mentioned, back in the bathroom. Bond wants her to come in and get the attention of everyone. But she's a bit late. She comes in and, and kisses Bond and wishes him good luck, darling. But he whispers to her that, uh, you know, I thought I thought you were meant to come in and make everyone look at the beginning of the game and... All she actually ends up doing is just distracting Bond because she walks off to the bar, to go meet Mathis, and Bond's kind of still staring at her. <laughs> I don't think
0: like, it's quite that she was late. I think it was more that she came in from the wrong direction so only Bond could see her.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, and so Bond is the one that ends up being distracted and uh, the guy's like, it's your, your call, Mr. Bond. And he's like, oh, what? Okay. um, Yeah. And so that's when I think Lashif ups the bet and bond matches it and bond ends up losing um he ends up folding because he doesn't have the right hand so he's sort of a bit distracted in that moment i guess as he's trying to still figure out le chief's chief's plan what he's going on for i don't think
0: he loses because he's distracted though um I, I guess he explains it in a bit but i don't think that's what happens um he is definitely distracted, like he is staring yeah. right at her ass, which yeah, I like how they set up that, because normally like a guy staring at a woman's ass, you might be like, "That's a bit odd, but you had Vesper in the first scene talk about Bond's ass, So they really uh, put in the seeds of ass appreciation between the two <laughs> to be a back and forth thing, which I like.
1: Yeah, you can see why they fall in love. They just love their asses. <laughs> their rumps really what they were just meant to be. <laughs> but um, yeah with that bond calls over for the uh the barman and this is where he he makes up his drink he says about having a, a martini but then he starts to actually go into the details of all can't remember what he says now gordon's something or other blah 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 um kind of almost making it up on the spot and as he does so all the players start turning around and be like oh that sounds nice i'll have one of those mm, yeah me too and then this final man's like yeah i'll have one but save the fruit and uh, and the Le- chiefs just sort of looking around like, "Come on, guys, Can we actually play some poker." And uh, yeah, because he's a uh, obviously a little bit um, a little bit stressed, so he's not really getting on board with the drinks.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I'm not too sure about this whole drink bit, but I guess Cause it's an ongoing thing, isn't it, with his drink? Where initially he orders something, and then this one he just kind of like makes it up on the spot, but it's very specific as well. So I'm kind of. I wasn't really into this one i didn't I think when I was younger, I might have liked it, but I didn't really find this charming. I think it's funny all the other people saying that sounds nice, give me one, and <laughs> she's yeah. getting annoyed. That's <laughs> funny, but this is uh I talked about being uh, these bond references and bringing stuff up bit back being hit and miss for me. This one's actually kind of a
1: miss. I find it a little bit too annoying and cute to to enjoy it well, something tells me that's probably from the book I imagine is is the drink, because it's not, I actually haven't read the book, but I'm pretty sure it's it's from that and not directly a like, sh- well, not sure that comes up later, but uh, like a vodka martini thing. I guess it's pre-vodka martini in that case. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, but
0: they do call it a vodka martini later, I'm pretty sure.
1: Well, before they give it his name. Well, I think name? he
0: orders one later, I want to say. I'm not sure. Hmm.
1: Uh but yeah, with that, Bond gets up and goes over and uh goes to the bar where Vespa and Mathis is, gives her a kiss to uh and asks Math- Mathis if they're looking. Um, which they are, uh the sheaf anyway. And Vespa is, is quite grumpy at this moment, surprise, surprise. Uh Bond's losing a lot and she's yeah, worried that there's he's not gonna have enough money to even get past midnight or something like that. So, um, they're sort of in the cover still as a as a, a couple, but she's pretending to be annoyed with him losing. And this is where, as Tom says, this is where Bond kind of explains about what just happened. So he lost that round, but it was worth it. Uh, it was all to find out what the tell was, which is... Uh, and I like how Mathis is like... it's <laughs> He's such like the audience member for this film at points, isn't he? He's always there just to really clearly explain things. Because yeah. he's like... What do you mean? <laughs> Poke. Uh? <laughs> Tell. What do you mean, Bond? Please explain. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it's a twitch. The sheaf has a twitch that he has to hide, um, which is why he always has his fingers near his eyes when he bluffs, because he only won on that, that last hand, that last card reveal. Uh, he was bluffing before, so Bond now knows. Bond also asks Mathis if he's got a bug ready, which he does. It's this little tiny metal pill thing um which he he takes and uh goes back to the table and then then the guy says that they've been playing for like four hours and i was mm. like bloody hell four, four. this is a i mean i'm sure they do last that long but i'm like bloody hell four hours of one go playing poker what about needing a wee or anything
0: well we do see later bond can you can you oh, like, yeah you know you can tap out you can, can you. tap out skip hands you do have to bet the blinds so i guess you would maybe have someone just bet the blinds for you you just don't Yeah, you just fold instantly because you're not there. So, yeah, they do allow for that. Yeah. I think I do want to go back to that first hand, though, because I think that was so cool. It was such a cool way that it plays out because, you know, I'm not a poker expert, but I feel like I've played enough poker that I know roughly kind of what goes on. And I just like how that all plays out. It's so... It's such a good hand of poker where it's like, yeah, Bond explains that he only won on the last card, which is true because he got a full house, which was three nines and two twos. Uh, we don't actually see what Bond has because he folds his cards, which is a little bit unfortunate. But Bond says that the odds of that card coming up are 23 to one. Like The only card that would have allowed Le Chiffre to win was the nine which happened to come up and that's how he knew he was bluffing. So it, I don't take it as necessarily Bond was trying to lose. It was more if he did win, then... Like, yeah, if he won, he won. And that's great. But the fact that he lost on the last card is is very helpful. And I think, again, I'm not an expert poker player, but that totally makes sense. (laughs) That totally makes sense. It's it's very smartly put together. And the fact that there is a attention to detail with the poker stuff, even though it's not massively long and they don't really get super complicated, I would say, um, just makes it really engaging. Like right off the bat, that first hand was just entertaining in itself.
1: Yeah, they strike the right balance of of having enough poker in it to warrant it being Casino Royale and and all the posters and everything of Bond at the casino and and keeping it keeping it kind of interesting for the average movie goer that isn't into poker a lot. You know, they I, I kind of joked about Mathis, but he is he is there as that sort of person to say at times like there's X amount on the table, he Bond needs to do this to win or or the chief is going to do this and it's Yeah, sometimes it does stick out a bit, but I think it's rather that than the opposite way around, where they just go a bit too much into the poker, and then you're just left feeling like, uh, I, I, there's just cards being shown, I don't really care what's going on.
0: Yeah, and there's also a reason in the universe why Mathis is doing this, because Vespa is there, doesn't know anything about poker, but is in charge of the money, so needs to know what's going on. So, it's a very small detail, that one. But yeah, it totally makes sense that Mathis would be explaining stuff to Vespa. Maybe Vespa should have read a book on poker on the train. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe a quick one. Yeah, maybe just a quick read just to understand. But it totally makes sense that Mathis would be explaining out loud to Vespa what's going on, which allows the details of what's happening to come out. So, even if you don't understand all the details, you know, all it all comes down to this, or all what's going to happen. Like, you know enough for it to be, like, tense and interesting.
1: Yeah. So yeah, after the four-hour playtime, they have a one-hour break, the guy says, and so they'll get up and leave. the Le leaves his inhaler on the table, next to the table, as he goes off, uh, which Bond takes as the opportunity to go and walk over to it, and kind of Mathis gives him some cover, and he sticks the little bug tracker inside his inhaler, and they have a little cheers. So Mathis goes to report in, he says, and Bond... Heads back upstairs where well, he goes over and, and is like, You said you want to do what to me? And he's like, You just told me you want to go upstairs. So they uh they start heading up back to their room. And we then cut to Lashif who is entering his hotel room. Um, because he's been uh summoned by now I wrote down this woman's name. I don't know if it's ever said, but I just wanted to know who she was. Her name's Valenka.
0: Valinka. Um,
1: yeah, uh Le chief's girlfriend. Uh, and we see that. She's on the balcony. So we see the chief walk over to her outside on the balcony and say, What's so important you needed me for? And she's looking very distraught. She kisses him, and suddenly from off-screen, like the is grabbed by uh, by someone, and you see it's the uh, the terrorist back from Uganda, and uh, he's got like a bodyguard with him. But yeah, he grabs the chief and just starts like strangling him, asking, Where is my money? So it all, it all kind of goes from zero to a hundred very quick there in that scene. <laughs> hmm. Something I thought that was going
0: to be a cool detail, but I don't think pans out, is that when the sheath is at the, the poker table and gets a message from someone like that, I think it's the ball guy probably, whispers something to him, he leaves very quickly. And I feel like I thought this was tied to the fact that he knew the Ugandan terrorist was up front, so he needed to go up and talk to them, which is why he stupidly just left his inhaler on the table, so I yeah. thought they were implying that he was he needed to quickly get out of there, which is why he had the mental hiccup and left the inhaler, which is what allows Bond to put in the bug in it. But really, it was just his girlfriend saying, can you come to the room, please? Um, so <laughs> it, it doesn't quite come together. I mean, it's fine. He leaves his inhaler on there. Fine. Um, mm. But yeah, I thought that was going to be a clever detail, but ends up kind of not, really. It just makes him look a bit silly for just leaving his inhaler. Um, in such an obvious place,
1: yeah. No, you're right, you're right. You think this mathematical genius and everything would be a little bit more uh, careful with his belongings, but I guess not.
0: The thing he needs to live, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's fine, it's I've got loads at of least them in he's the, not about to go into a
0: stressful situation. <laughs> no, no, he'll
1: be fine, his breathing will be fine, yeah. Um, we then cut back to Bond and Vesper on their way up to the room, they pick up a package from reception. And it's, uh, yeah, and they end up going in the lift. And it's uh, the gun that Bond got from the car earlier on. It's in like a brown paper package, so it's hidden that way. Um, and he takes that out and he also sticks in an earpiece, which is connected to uh, the bug, the, the tracker, that you can hear as well.
0: So he does have the inhaler then?
1: Yeah. I don't know when he picked it up, but he, he somehow does then know where the is. There's there's a there's there must be a little missing scene.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would assume one of his assistants picks it up and brings it to him. So yeah, so he somehow leaves the inhaler to go to his room and also then has the inhaler in his room with enough time for Bond to bug it. That's that's a bit strange.
1: Hmm. Yeah. When you point it out that way, it's kind of, I don't know, it's just very, very quick. So yeah, looking on the GPS phone once again, that lovely tiny screen, uh, he can see that uh, he's on the fourth floor. The chief, so they start heading up to there, and back inside the chief's room, the the terrorist is he pulls out his machete, and he's getting very angry now. He threatens that you know, he'd usually take a hand for this sort of betrayal with what uh, what the chief's done with his money, but since he needs it to play cards, he won't. So instead, he he asks for uh, he, he says to the world Valenka to give him her arm instead. Starts to like mimic doing that. And as Bond and Vespa reach that fourth floor, they do hear Valenka kind of scream from the room, and kind of tells Bond where they are, and he tells Vespa to go back to the room, get out the way, go and hide. But annoyingly, it's always the way. She just misses the lift; just it's never coming on time, is it? So she's there pressing the button, and it's just not coming. It's too slow, so uh, she has to go take the stairs instead. But yeah, the uh, the terrorist is about. He like goes to swing to cut. The, the girlfriend's arm off inside the room and stops just at the last second. And Anna says about how Lashif, no word of protest from him, she should find a new boyfriend, which is very true. And she doesn't actually, she sticks with him. So good for her. Good for <laughs> or maybe her. Maybe not. Huh? What? <laughs> she, maybe she's just truly in love. She doesn't mind. Oh, all right. But Lashif okay. would have her arm cut off for her. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, as the the two Ugandan um, men leave the room, uh, Bond and Vesper are now kind of caught in the corridor because they, they didn't get to the stairs in time. So they kind of take cover a little bit in a, in a doorway and start to kiss each other as a bit of a disguise. So there's two people kissing in a hallway. And the men walk past, except the bodyguard guy uh, spots Bond's earpiece in his ear as he walks past. And I think you even do hear something. You do hear, like, Valenka's voice coming from it as well, ever so ever so slightly. Um, yeah, which, a
0: little bit. Like, I don't yeah. think that's realistic at all, but I guess they really want to hammer home that this is an earpiece and he understands it's an earpiece. So, yeah, they just put a little audio in there of someone talking. Um, so you put that together.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which is enough for him to realise that uh, something's going on there. So he immediately just starts to, to shoot, and Bond and Vesper kind of... Uh, head through the doorway to avoid it. And then we get into this kind of very crazy, very quick fight scene. So the two men come in and Bond's sort of hiding by the the side of the door inside. So the first one comes in and Bond just immediately like flips him over, over the railing because it's a stairwell. And so this guy just falls all the way to the bottom. And that's one taken care of immediately, which is nice and handy. Uh, (laughs) uh, But then the second one, the one that had the machete comes in and he's just like swinging it mad. Uh, he swings it and, and hits Bond's gun out of his hand. And so then it's just this fight that sort of moves down the stairwell. Vesper's jumping out of the way and screaming and getting out of the way as Bond and this guy are kind of going uh, going at each other. And yeah, this man just keeps on swinging and like uh, jumping down, toppling down the stairs. It's very rough and ready. It's like quite a cramped fight scene being on this stairwell going around the corners and around the corners yeah it's quite intense very quickly the music is like going mad at this point the, the, the score anyway uh and vespa still trying to run out of the way she gets down to um the bottom where there's like an escape door She's just trying to like the one that you push and she's trying to push it open but locked or jammed or something so she can't get out and bond and the terrorists they flip over flip over the railings are now on the floor just like where the the other guys now, his body's there. And Bond's got him in a sort of strangle hold and trying to kill him. But this guy is almost reaching for the gun. Bond's dropped... I don't know if it's Bond's gun. I assume it is. Or it could have been the bodyguard's gun. I don't know. Oh, um, I want
0: to say it's Bond's gun.
1: It'd make more sense to be Bond's gun, I feel like. Because yeah. you do see it get knocked out. So yeah, he's almost reaching for Bond's gun. You kind of get this very <laughs> frantic shot almost reaching it and Vespa sees it. Uh, sees what's happening and uh, kind of has to go over and start whacking his uh, whacking the gun out of his hand to stop him grabbing it and shooting bond and yeah does the trick and and that gives bond enough time to finish the guy off strangling him Vespa just kind of looking on in horror like curled up on the side as this is happening and then yeah the music just cuts out and it just goes back to like very quiet scene after that dramatic thing and Bond is all bloody and messed up and beaten, and he goes and tells uh, Vesper to go find Mathis, go uh, tell him where the bodies are, go deal with the bodies, whilst he has to go and clean himself up. But yeah, it's like it's a very very short fight scene, but it's uh, yeah, it's like wow, that was it's kind of very brutal in a way.
0: Mm, yeah, it's certainly the most hard hitting uh, action we've had here because we've we've already had elements of this before where it's more kind of brutal and blunt and one-on-one but there's kind of no real stunts here or anything else it's not like there's no explosions or anything like that and yeah in bond we've had one-on-one fights before but this is like yeah a lot of backwards and forwards and it's not super bloody at the end of the day. Like it's not like grim, but they do take the time to make you feel it a little bit more. I think the setting is a big part that helps with that, because yeah, you go from yeah. a really nice, fancy hotel, but they go into the stairwell, which is all concrete. Um, so like that helps a ton. Like you're suddenly not in this nice hotel, you're suddenly in this really concrete, harsh setting, and you kind of feel that a little bit. Um, and I like the whole thing of like, yeah, they're continually fighting down the stairs backwards and forwards. It, it moves quite a lot. They are falling down these stairs almost while fighting. And that works quite well. Something I didn't really like is how like, they really had to force Vesper to be in this scene. <laughs> and it just looks really silly to me because Vesper is like behind them going down the stairs and they're fighting down the stairs, but she's trying to get away and they just keep like, accidentally following her all the way down the stairs and she's just like trying to it's it's a bit silly uh, for my liking um, I mean it pays off because the la- the last mm. moment of Bond choking out the guy and Vespa then choosing to help is, is pretty rough uh, it's pretty tough uh, and it, that bit works really well but unfortunately they wanted to have like we need Vespa to be in the scene and we also want this kinetic brutal fight scene of these two people punching and swiping at each other all the way down the stairs. So they just kind of had to have Vesper follow them <laughs> in this really silly way. So it's still really effective, uh, but that detail feels a little bit off. Like they had to write her to still be in the same scene for all of this, which starts off with they both go up to the same floor, which I'm assuming that Bond's room is on the same floor because otherwise why wouldn't Vespa go to the room? So, I'm assuming that it's actually on the same floor. But
1: um, it can't be though, because then why does she go to the lift? Uh, maybe well, th- it's that's higher a good point, up. Yeah. Maybe, I guess, maybe like they, yeah, but then why did she get out? Oh, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it feels like they had to do some writing gymnastics here to put her in that yeah. situation. And it pays off. It's a really good final moment, and it, you really do feel it, but it, it's a bit daft. Um, Maybe it's, it's, I've said this before multiple times already in this episode, maybe it's because I've seen it so many times that it stands out, but it feels a little bit daft, all that. But again, it's still a really effective scene in terms of having this more brutal fight scene and having that moment at the end of Vesper helping out Bond and Bond being very bloody and bruised. That stuff still works super well, so still very good stuff at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, even even if it was a bit clumsy, you're right. It, it is a little bit like the way they do that about how how he, she has to be with Bond. I still think what it sets up for in the next couple of scenes is is worth it, for, for like you know getting that. Well, we'll talk about it, but yeah, I think it is worth it.
0: Oh yeah, I agree. Definitely, kind of worth it. And it's interesting watching this scene because you know the, I think the stairwell and the staircase in terms of action films have become a bit more of a thing over the years. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say that Casino Royale was the first one to do it. But it probably is one of the more famous examples, but nowadays we have quite a few of these kind of scenes and I want to say it was daredevil season two that did it and had that one continuous shot that might be one of the most famous ones. I think there's other ones hey. as well that are failing to come to mind is uh,
1: that is that the one that no time to die then sort of tries to mimic with the i want to thing? say
0: so yeah where it's yeah. just yeah it never it never cuts, and you kind of follow the camera going down with the with bond
1: or Dead or whoever um fighting all the people actually i think he goes up in that scene so it's almost like a nice symmetry there Ah, oh, that's lovely one goes down and this one up in his last one there you are
0: yeah so this one doesn't quite hit some of those i guess it's not as unique as some of those but i think it still very much stands tall even though it is you know not shot in a crazy way um but i think it's still kind of effective martin campbell knows how to make you feel these these fights and make it feel like chaotic but also you understand exactly what's going on so yeah i don't think it's really anything spectacular when compared to say what happens later in action films with staircases and stuff but it's a really well made well put together fight scene that just does exactly what it wants to do so maybe it's not one of the better ones but it's definitely a really good one
1: yeah i agree
0: So with Fesper now, you did say that, right? That Fesper has to go and find Mathis? Yeah, she has to
1: find Mathis, yeah. Yeah,
0: to get rid of the bodies, which is a really nice final moment as well. So we cut to Bond in his hotel room in the bathroom and he's cleaning himself up. He takes off his shirt. We see that there's a lot of blood on him and he pours himself a a stiff drink, a bourbon, I'm going to assume, some sort of brown uh, liquor. Um, and he just downs that in one and he stares into the mirror. Well, and that, that's kind of it for that bit. Um, but it's shot very differently to anything we've kind of seen. It's almost like he's a bit dazed and confused with the way it's shot. The the lights feel very bright. A lot of the camera shots are quite zoomed in as well. And you also get that extra moment of him looking at the mirror, which I don't know exactly what you're supposed to be thinking, but or Bond's supposed to be thinking, but it does give you that extra second of breathing room i Mm. guess or that extra second to think about what just happened which is never a scene you would see in any other bond film him kind of contemplating and almost like mentally resetting himself um so he can get back to the job
1: yeah yeah i mean at the beginning of the scene where he's kind of uh cleaning the the cut on his head I think it's just saying about Craig's eyes as well. <laughs> We're going to keep talking about. I'm going to keep talking about Craig's eyes, but like the the expression he's pulling there is one that I've and you'd never see Bond like it, it, he looks like he's wincing. It looks like he's in actual pain, like not just the the stunt pain of like Roger well, go going oof or anything. Like he's actually cleaning himself up after a really nasty fight, and and his face really sells that. Like it's such a such a simple thing that they've, they've never really done before, but it. it, it add so much just to have a proper, like, intense expression like that after a fight scene.
0: Yeah, I, I also really like how it just doesn't dwell on it too long. Like, yes, this is a more character-driven Bond film, but when you think about, like, character-driven films, they usually, like, really lean on these aspects. It's what you kind of talked about last time with Die Another Day, where it's all about, oh, the PTSD angle, which they completely ignored, but this one kind of brings in a little bit of that. But I think they didn't bring in a ton of that. So you're not really like being beaten over the head with it, which yeah. I think is good. Like the ideas are there and it's you understand what's going on. But this isn't like, yeah, it's not hammered into you. Um, so it's kind of showing these two sides of Bond, which is something we saw in the intro as well. So they have set up that idea, but it's just doing it in a very to the point manner so you understand it but it doesn't really distract too much from the Bond adventure that we're having.
1: That's it it's a very difficult thing that they had to do with this film which I think they, they pulled off nigh on perfectly is that it does you're right it does still have to be a Bond film like this isn't a six-part TV series that you're going to get where you can go into the, the inner mind of Bond and really like this, the, this, the psycho of him or the psyche of him What's, uh, I'm sure he's a bit psycho, but yeah. Um, yeah, like they had to still have all the action and the fun and the comedy and the whatever that you you come to expect. But then if they they did want to try and have a bit more of that, that character in there, so popping it in these 30-second scenes throughout is like all they could really do. And then, you know, there are some bigger moments, I suppose, later on as well. But it's like, it was a very delicate balancing act and i think they'd kind of nailed it
0: yeah it's stuff for you to think about about bond that was probably always the case they're just adding it in now and that's all you need that's all you need Um, so with that quick scene we then cut back to the casino table where the chief is playing some chips and and bond shows up and he's all suited and booted again looking very smart looking quite chipper and he shows up and sits down and the chief points out, oh, you've changed your shirt. I, I hope this isn't making you perspire. And he he talks about, well, I won't start worrying unless I start weeping blood.
1: Just stares at him. <laughs> I never really, I don't really get much from that line. Because is it meant to be that he's saying that because he, I don't I just, I don't know. I don't really get, I just think that's a very good, I don't think that's a very good like, ooh, you got in there. Oh,
0: well, Bond <laughs> hitting back at him.
1: Yeah, I just thought it was a bit of a bad line, to be honest with you. Um, That's just me, though. Sorry. Maybe. I, I great, see
0: great. it more as Bond is pointing out that he knows about that, whether that's common knowledge or not. But I would assume throughout the game, maybe that hasn't happened. I don't... Yeah, maybe it is. Of I just assumed it was more like, I know that you can cry blood, so I'm just going to point it out at you.
1: I thought that too. But then I thought back to... He's never really hidden it. I don't know. I'm overthinking this one line. It's okay. Yeah. Although I found this
0: a little bit confusing because we know the chief was meeting with the Ugandans. So I somewhat assumed initially that he was mocking Bond because he knew that he'd go into a fight. But we find out that he didn't know that at all later. Yeah. Like he has yeah. no idea that Bond was fighting Ugandans. Like, So this isn't him mocking him because he knows what's happened. This is him just mocking him because he noticed the shirt is different. So he's just trying to like be like, ha, you changed your shirt.
1: <laughs> back on the school ground.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, so they continue playing, and we don't really see much happen. We just know they've played a little bit more. So it's a quick cut, and it's back to Bond re-entering the hotel room. And he sees that there's a smashed glass there. Uh, a wine glass has been smashed. And he also hears that the shower is going... And he slowly opens the shower door and he sees Vespa in the shower. But unlike a normal Bond girl, she is in her dress, in a ball, like fetal position kind of thing, just kind of shivering to herself, like really kind of closed off on the bottom of the shower. So Bond just slowly goes over and sits down next to her, sits in the shower as well on the floor, and she holds onto his arm. And she kind of says, All oh, the the blood on my hands, they won't come off because she helped kill the Ugandan man. And she's saying that the, the blood won't come off. So Bon takes a look at her hands and decides to suck on her fingers for for a bit. And it was yeah. like, oh, all better. And <laughs> they then hold hands. He holds onto her head, kind of puts the arm around. And then there's this slow zoom out showing them sitting alone in the shower as a they're just curled up together with the shower going. So overall, very, very good. Seeing this, I, I do want to just mention the sucking of the fingers. I don't.
1: I knew you were going to mention that. <laughs> I don't think that quite
0: works. I just don't. I know what they were going for. That bond is going to help wipe the blood of the hands that she sees. I don't think sucking her finger
1: works. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where you just have to sort of yeah. If you if you look at it too much, you're like, oh, that's a bit weird. But I think taking a step back from the scene, it's you just sort of let it pass. Because um, yeah, I, I really like this scene. As you say, it's that sort of it is. It's the shower scene, but not as you have ever seen it before in a Bond film. It's not a sexy shower shower scene. That's hard to say. Um, it's it's complete opposite. It's this very powerful, kind of harrowing scene instead, where. And the thing I really like about this is that you know, Vesper is the the Bond girl for this film, obviously. And in a lot of films, the Bond girls end up being like, oh, they're actually CIA, or oh, they are um, they, the Chinese foreign agent, or you know, they're always something. So that's how they end up helping Bond and, and whatnot. But Vesper is just a normal person. She's an accountant. I mean, she has some secrets that we find out, but she is still a normal person, and. She is reacting to how I think a lot of people would react and seeing a death like that and, and being involved in such nasty things as that. Like this is a true um like this sets her aside from just being another another Bond girl because it's it's actually it is affecting her what she's seen and they yeah, they, they really want to point it out and I just really like that they they go for this angle instead.
0: Yeah, I think what they were probably going for was Vesper is a normal person, is actually being affected by this stuff that Bond kind of does somewhat casually, although not as casually as he normally does with this film. But where I think this actual strength of this scene is, is in setting up Bond's and Vesper's relationship and how they are kind of, they're going through something quite horrible together. And he's there for her um, as she's kind of going through this horrible time. It's kind of like stripping down some of those layers. It's it's a much more personal moment and the fact that they share this personal moment and Bond kind of helps her or is there for her in a mo- in a really down moment kind of then sells a deeper connection that they are supposed to have later in the film. So yeah. I don't actually care too much about like old oh, Vespers actually not the usual Bond girl. But what I do kind of care about and I think why this succeeds is, oh, this is someone that Bond would you know, they would fall to each other after such a short time. Um, and having such a kind of quite a horrific experience and being there for each other and get, kind of getting through that together, I think really sells it a lot better, um, especially for how little time they have to really develop this relationship.
1: Yeah, I mean, at this point in the film, they haven't really spent too much time together. It's later on when you kind of see the more kind of fall in love sort of thing. But this is like getting that ready, setting that up and makes it all the more believable the way they head together so yeah just that that final shot out where they're just you know sitting in the shower together both fully clothed it's as i say it's very very powerful very striking and then the music is great as well this is where you hear vesper's theme and uh kind of that association to her and it's uh it's, it's nice it's it's uh it's sad <laughs> like you you look at it and you yeah it's very different from what you've just been watching um mm. and that's what's so good about this is it does hit so many angles is you know this is like what the beach scene in golden eye was maybe trying to be a bit more like but uh it, it this is just does it far more successfully
0: yeah just zooming out on them at the end you don't get anything like that in the rest of the film so it highlights it to be a little bit more unique yeah and it's just interesting how we get all these scenes slot in around the casino uh and the the poker game because the poker game is the main attraction but i think well that stuff is really solid I really like the pacing of this whole section that you're getting this story in between that and none of them really like overlap with the other ones in a negative way. It fits it really well. It's like really well edited and put together that you can enjoy the poker stuff, but get the plot develop outside of that and jump between the two in a way that it's really good. <laughs> like, it, yeah. It's really well put together.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that they didn't just spend the whole of this act just at the table. <laughs> that would have been dull. That would they, have been they've... fine by me uh but they know they 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 were smart about it and they're like okay well we'll go back then we'll come out then we'll go back then we'll come out and we'll set up all these little things around it but they do keep the the card game mingled in so there is still that underlying uh plot point but yeah they can build upon it so very good
0: yeah definitely so we then cut to the next morning where we see bond getting dressed in his hotel room uh, he peeks in on Vesper, because they do have the two separate beds. So Bond sees Vesper still sleeping in her bed. there's getting changed. He then steps out onto the hotel balcony, and he sees Mathis there overlooking the car park. And there's, like, somebody arguing with some police outside near some cars. So I think Bond asks, like, did you get rid of the bodies? And he was all like, yes, I definitely did. And he calls a phone number, and the trunk of the car then goes off with the phone. And the police open up the trunk and they find the two bodies in there of the Ugandans. And they both laugh. Um, and I think they talk about how, like, oh, because Le chief doesn't know what has happened, it's just going to make him more paranoid about who's out there. Like, who killed the Ugandans? Because this is when it kind of confirms that he doesn't know that Bond did this. He just knows somebody did. So they're kind of using this to try and make him more paranoid. Um, and she's like, how is Vesper I can't really remember what Bond says. I don't know if you do.
1: I think she just says I think he just says sleeping.
0: Alright, yeah, yeah, it's it's not much. It's just Mathis just asking, double checking. Um but the man, yeah, outside gets arrested. And then we cut to a shot of Vespa at his hotel window having a little peek. Just peeking a little bit. Uh seeing all this happen. And then he cries a little bit of blood and then he like kind of walks away. But <laughs> that shot seems so silly. Like the, the actor, Mad, uh, is is selling it. Like, he takes all, all of this very seriously uh, with this role. He doesn't play it in any sort of silly way. And I think that's what kind of makes it work. But yeah, this is like a Bond villain
1: just peeking out the window, be like, hmm, this will affect my <laughs> schemes. <laughs> being a little curtain twitcher. Yeah. They're going to go straight onto the Facebook group page. Yeah, get this report. Did you see what happened? <laughs> I know. Whoever keeps leaving their bin out. I bet it was number 42. <laughs> it always is.
0: Always is. But um, So we fade back to the poker game, and that's something that's done with the editing of this, where there's quite a lot of different transitions here, uh, but they kind of save the fade mostly for the poker game. Like there's some fade to blacks and fade from blacks and stuff, but you kind of know when you're getting into the swing of things with the casino and the poker game because they fade to it. Like, every time they go into a, a hand that's being played, it's a fade, uh, which I think was a very nice choice. It makes it feel a little bit more personal. It kind of gives that sense of time, and it, it gets you back into it without it feeling like a hard cut. That's, it's a very minor detail, but it's, it's, I really like that. Very smart editing. Yeah. Um, so we have eight players left in the game. So we had ten, and our two people have disappeared. And we see an American man uh, goes in on his hand for 300 grand. Um, so the initial pot, everyone had 10 million initially, so 300 grand is a small amount, but um, another smart detail about all of this is that the betting kind of goes up and up and up as it goes on, which is another very smart way of building that kind of tension that things are kind of building as it goes, because the numbers are getting higher. Um, So Bond calls the American man, and Le also calls, so we also have the guy, the dealer, and he kind of commentates a lot of this. Like every time we have a casino section or a poker section, he kind of commentates what's going on. So it's like free pliers, uh final card and stuff like that. He- he's commentating this, which is I really like. So they've got four cards on the table. Um it goes to the final card. We see on the table there's lots of like face cards. So it's like aces and kings and jacks, I want to say. So we see that Bond has a king and an ace. He bends his card a little bit up so he's got a king and an ace. And I believe there's at least one king and an ace on the table, um, so he goes in for five hundred thousand. He raises, and the sheikh does his tell. So earlier Bond explained how oh he has the twitch and he touches his like right side of his face, yeah where his eye is uh, whenever that happens. So he does the face thing, and we go to Mathis watching with Vespa nearby, saying like, "Look, he's doing the tell. that means he's bluffing." James was right. It's the tell. It's the tell. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so, yeah, he's bluffing, he's doing his tail, that means he's bluffing, so Lasheef raises to one million, so he 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 raises by quite a bit, and the American man folds, he says that's too rich for my blood, something like that, and then we get a bit of a stare down, Bond and Lasheef just staring at each other, trying to figure each other out, what's happening, so Bond goes all in for oh go, not all in, sorry, goes in for two million, he doubles it again. And at this point the chief says, Well, I'm going all in. Forty million. So there's a bit of hubba blue, a bit of rah, 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 bit of murmurs. Um and he starts to push in all these chips into the middle. So now it's up to Bond. And Mathis also then explains to the Fespa that Bond has to go all in to call, Um which I think the most most casual watchers would probably assume that's the case. But it is technically sometimes you don't have to. If you have more than the other player, you wouldn't have to. So it's it's a small thing, but yeah. Um, they explain and bond decides to go all in so he pushes his chips forward and because bond called he has to show first and he has a a full house kings and aces as the the dealer explains and the sheaf, he has two jacks which i i missed what he said that was because I don't know how it beats a full house, and that's probably just me just missing some of the knowledge. I assumed it was four jacks.
1: I think so, yeah.
0: But I don't... Maybe he said four in French, which is why I missed it or something. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so he had four jacks. He had four of a kind. So that means he wins. So Le then says, oh, you must have thought I was bluffing, Mr. Bond. And the dealer says, let's take a break for an hour, and we see everyone get up and leave. But the only person that doesn't is Bond, who just stares at the table. He's just kind of leaning forward, just staring, not moving. So Bond has lost. He went all in and lost, and Lashif has won. Oops.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oops, <indeed. laughs> Oops, yeah. So the thing that I'm, now that we're talking this through, so is the idea that Le Chiffre's tail is not actually his tail?
0: No. It gets explained right at the end of the film. If you remember that bit.
1: It gets explained right at the end of the film? Yeah. What does?
0: What happened here?
1: Oh, oh, what? Right, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. So yeah, so
0: something has gone wrong here. Lashiv did his tell, but he wasn't bluffing. So Bond has lost, which is why he's quite devastated. Because we hear in the train as well, where Bond is explaining to... Uh, fespa about poker and how it works and how oh you play the man and not the card and he's like i'm very good at reading people which is why i'm very good at cards so the fact that the chief has used that against him is why it's so devastating and why it's such a a good moment Uh, why it hits so hard that bond would lose here and why he would be so devastated because he's like no i'm really good at reading people honest i swear
1: yeah and then you like you say you just get that shot of him all alone at the table everyone walks off and it's just him and it's uh you do feel for him there, poor guy. He's just staring like like dead into into the table and just uh, taking it all in, I suppose.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that kind of sets up what happens next. So we go to Vesper approaching Bond outside of the hotel. So he's kind of just staring out into the distance a bit outside. Um, and she goes up to him. He smiles and says, can I have the 5 million to buy back in? So the whole point in this game is that you had 10 million to go in, but you could buy back in with another 5 million. And she says, no, like that doesn't, you can't have that five million, you lost. Um, And something about like, oh, we don't want the British government funding terrorism. I think she uses that line again, but Bond is saying like, I can beat him. I, I made a mistake, but I can beat this guy. And she's like, no. And Bond starts to get like very mad at this point. And Vesper starts saying, oh, this is not about the game or the mission. This is all about your ego, which... I get a little bit annoyed about Fespa saying ego because they really like... Fespa has certain buzzwords and she just says ego. This is about your ego. Your ego can't fit in this list. lift. And it gets... Mm, it bothers me. Um, but Bond doesn't like this either. <laughs> and says, oh, he calls her a, a bloody idiot. Um, gets quite angry at this. And then she's all like... Bond's all like, look into my eyes. I can beat this man. I can beat this man. Which I don't know what Bond was hoping to accomplish by this. Unless it's just, look into my dreamy blue eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Look into my eyes. Don't look around my eyes. Look into
1: my eyes. Look at these
0: dreamy (laughs) eyes. And she's like, oh, okay, then. They are like the ocean. All right, here's your five million. (laughs) Um, But she just kind of walks off because Bond is very mad and agitated at this bit.
1: Yeah, Bond kind of loses his cool a little bit, loses his temper. Uh, Frustrating that, you know, you're you're a bloody idiot sort of thing. And um, yeah, it's just... uh, it's very, it's a very wide-eyed scene. That's all I wrote in my notes. Is just like their eyes are so wide. <laughs> You're right, very, very blue eyes from from Bond. But yeah, they're both just like staring at each other. And yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of nice to see Bond lose his temper like that, lose his cool anyway, and and kind of not be in control now because she's the one in charge of the money, and she said no, and that's that. He's got a, that's all that, that's all he can do now.
0: I still don't get it, though. Like, this scene doesn't work that well for me. I do like Bond getting annoyed because it is... Like, Bond, I think, ultimately, it's all about controlling the situation, right? And when he's in control of stuff. And he has now lost control of this. He doesn't know what has happened. Like, he usually relies on his skills and, you know... And he he keeps calm because he's in control and he knows what's going on, even if it doesn't always seem like it. He has confidence in its, in himself it's almost like his confidence going so seeing that side of it when something has gone wrong i think totally makes sense and i think craig pulls it off well but yeah i don't know i don't really buy Vesper just battering on about the ego again i think it's lame i think it's just a bit lazy writing where really bond should get the five million like what is he suggesting let's just go home sorry like no like surely you would give i know like bond needs some time to cool down but just being like, this is about your ego, it's like, well, I guess it probably is to a certain extent, sure. But it's like, I, I I, liked before how in the hotel reception, they both made good points, and it just depends which side of the coin you, or which side of the argument you want to land on. This one, I don't think she does. I I think it's a little bit off and awkward, and it's more about Bond being mad at her and getting all bent out of shape, which is why it's really a no. Um, because she's giving the bloody money. bloody idiot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You bloody idiot. Yeah, no, that's true. She doesn't really say much else, does she? Apart from the ego stuff, which M says a little bit about as well. That's just the word of the film is ego. It's all about your ego.
0: I know. Yeah, it gets a bit too much. So we then cut to Bond at the bar and the guy says, here's your vodka martini. Or he orders a vodka martini, I think. And the guys all like, do you want to shake it? Shaken or stirred? And Bond says, do I look like I give a damn? (gasps) <gasps> what? Goodness. No. So yeah, that's what? why no. I think that drink is a vodka martini because that's just what he orders then, a vodka martini.
1: But he doesn't ask for all the whatevers.
0: I guess not. But it's like if he had a drink that he liked before, why would he order a martini that's really similar to it but not it?
1: Mm. Maybe he should have gone back to the large Mount Gay and soda. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Shaken or stirred? He won that game.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That was his good luck charm, yeah. I mean,
0: he would be extremely drunk by this point. That's something they don't touch upon.
1: <laughs> that is true. <laughs> he would have yeah, had I so many that. of
0: these vodka martinis, which has so much alcohol in. <laughs> Lucky to be alive.
1: When he, yeah, when he downed the drink in front of the mirror, I was thinking that like, hmm, you are going to be playing a card game soon. But hey, it's Bond, I guess, isn't it? So yeah, it that's all part of it. All part uh, of fun. Yeah. But I
0: think the line is here because it's the it's you know it's flipping in on head right shaken yeah. or stirred it's like do i look like i give a damn which i don't mind it's fine um it was it was really cool the first time like it was a really cool subversion the first time but when i watch this again i'm just like uh, uh.
1: <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't really think about it too much now because like you say i guess you just know it's coming and and also does craig ever eventually say shaken not stirred oh i'm sure he does
0: Almost certainly not in the next one, but he must (laughs)
1: no. No, so yeah, I guess it's just a little a little wink to the audience. And it's like it's yeah, fun the first time, but then it's you just kinda move on, don't you? Yeah. And with that, you have reached the end of part two of episode twenty-one of the Bond Revisited Podcast. Join myself and Tom next time where someone wins Le Chief's Poker Game, Mr. White appears again to clean things up, and Bond and Vespa run away together, leading to a tragic end in Venice. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you for part three.